And one day I saw this butcher wrestling with this ox. And what he had done was he had tied the front legs of the ox and he, it was sort of a lasso and he was wanting to get the, the ox to lie down or to kneel down. And so he tied the front legs together and then his mate would give the oxen a push and at the same time he would pull the rope back that was tied to the front legs so that the, the ox would end up lying down. The legs would be pulled out from underneath him and then he could begin that slaughter process. That ox knew that his only hope of survival was to stay on its feet. It did everything possible to keep standing. It's a bit like when a lion um, attacks an oxen or a wildebeest in the African grasslands. As long as that animal can stay standing, it's got a chance. But once it falls, then they've lost control. Later on in chapter 6 in Ephesians, Paul likens our Christian life to a battle and he's encouraging us to learn how to stand in that battle. Satan will try to trip us up by pulling, pulling us off the narrow road that leads to life. And so the chapter starts off in verses 1 and 2 by saying, Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, we all know that children love to copy people, don't they? Particularly their parents, their mums and dads. When kids get to teenage years, they're more inclined to copy and imitate their mates. We are all God's children. And so Paul is telling us to walk like our heavenly father. We are born of his spirit. And so spiritually, we are his direct offspring. And so in verse 2, it says, live a life of love. This means to walk in love, to talk lovingly, to think loving thoughts. Love in the way that Christ loved us. But to do this, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own flesh. It's all right to copy other people, to imitate people, but as long as we are imitating the right people. Paul reminds us of how Jesus comforted, rescued, and encouraged us by giving himself up as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God. And so we're encouraged to deny ourselves and to minister to others in that same way that Jesus did. Do you, can you think back to a time when someone let you off some, some punishment? I think back to when I was at high school and I was a bit of a, a bad boy at high school and one day the teacher was out of the room and I had a chalk fight, that shows how old I am, with uh, another guy in the class. He was throwing chalk at me and I was throwing it at, at, at him. And then you know, the word comes out that 
the teacher's coming. And so everyone's back in their seats and there's chalk all over the floor, you know. And so this teacher comes in the room and a guy in the class says, oh, sir, Armstrong's been throwing chalk. <laughs> and the teacher just looked at me and he said, Armstrong wouldn't do a thing like that. And he carried on with the lesson. Now, I learned a lot from that. I never misbehaved in his class again. He became my favorite teacher. He was a geography teacher, and I became a geography teacher. And when I was a teacher, I was a teacher just like him. And a lot of teachers had trouble with certain classes, and they were doing an inquiry about 4F or something that was a bit of a difficulty for most teachers. And they said, why don't you guys play up in Mr. Armstrong's class? And they said, oh, we like him and he likes us. And that's basically how it is. If we can form a relationship with people, and often that relationship develops when we actually trust someone or we forgive someone or we show grace and favor toward that person. Jesus often encountered people whose lives were in a mess. But instead of rebuking and condemning them, Jesus forgave them. He caused them to examine their own lives and most realized that they needed to radically change their lifestyle. Zacchaeus was a dishonest tax collector who was despised by the people. He climbed a tree to get a good view of Jesus and invited Jesus to his place for dinner. After a few hours with Jesus, the old Zacchaeus was gone. He no longer sought wealth by overcharging people, and he generously gave his money away. His old idol of money had been replaced by generosity and integrity. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, it tells us about a man called Legion. He was a social outcast who was possessed by many demons. They tried to control this man by chaining him up, but he escaped, and so they kicked him out of town. Jesus cast demons out of him, and he calmed down and became normal. He ended up traveling around the region, telling people about his encounter with Jesus. Instead of hiding from people in graveyards, he was lovingly trying to help them. Luke 8 verse 2 tells us about Mary Magdalene who was possessed by seven demons. Jesus helped her. Her life was transformed and she became a key witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus also forgave a woman who was caught in adultery and sent her home restored. Each of those people would have their own dramatic story of their encounter with Jesus. It had given them a new hope and a new focus for their lives. Their previous lives had revolved around hopeless, futile addictions and obsessions. Their transformed lives revolved around the love of God and God's purpose for their lives. All of us who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ have our own story to tell. 
An encounter with Jesus enables us to overcome those negative influences from our past. Imitating Jesus sets us on course for an exciting future. Because Jesus forgives us and encourages us in the same way that he treated those other people. Think about how much Jesus' kindness, mercy and love has meant to each one of you. Think about your kind, how your kindness and your love could impact someone else who is struggling. You know, when another story about Baku was um, there were a lot of domestic servants. A lot of them were from the Philippines. And some of the people in our Philippine congregation, they told us of a friend of theirs who was working for a family who was only allowed out of that house for two hours a month, and that was so that she could bank her money and send the money back to the Philippines. And so as a leadership, we heard about this lady and how that she was pretty much caught up in slavery. And so one Sunday after church, one of our leaders went to the house, went in, she was there, grabbed her and said, you're coming with us. And then we took her away to a safe place and we contacted the family and we said, look, we know what you're doing, it's not right. Um, and in the end, they paid the money for this lady to go back to the Philippines because they were worried that we could have pressed charges against the way she was treating that person. We set that woman free. We set that woman free from a life of servitude where there was no quality of life, where she was being abused in all sorts of ways. And that is the same thing that Jesus does for us. In Ephesians 5 verse 2 it says, And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, God loved humankind so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to take the punishment for our sins. Jesus became a victim on behalf of us. Jesus was tortured for our evil thoughts and behavior. And so as we walk through each day, we can try and reflect on the way Jesus walked in love. Anytime we wonder what the loving thing is that we can do, we can think, what would Jesus have done in this situation? Our loving actions towards others are a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. Love is self-denial. It's putting someone else's care before our own. God calls this sort of love a sacrifice. Most of us would call it an inconvenience. Make everything you do and say a reflection of your love for God and your love for other people. The more a child is loved, the more that child will imitate the one who loves him. Because we've experienced the love of God, we are able to love others. In John, 1 John 4 verse 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. The only way we can love others is when we get a revelation of how much Jesus loved us and the extent of that love that he has for us. 
And so in Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 4, it says, But among you there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish court talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Ephesus, the town, the people where this letter was sent, was a city of excess. There were orgies relating to the false goddess Diana, who had a temple in Ephesus. And there were excessive drinking and festivities held at the temple of Diana. Paul points out a negative progression in these verses. He talks about obscenity, which leads to foolish talk, which leads to coarse jokes. And these lead on to prostitution, greed, and idolatry. All of our actions are a result of our choices. And so we can pray for the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do and say. As we study and we meditate on God's word, this will influence our character and our behavior. Sexual immorality and covetousness cannot exist with the love of God. To covet is to want something that someone else has. Life for many is all about getting, whereas Jesus is a giver. Verse 4, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Don't be obsessed with all the negative stuff that's around us. Stop listing all those bad things that have happened to you. Be thankful about the good things. Thanksgiving is the beginning of praise and worship. If we're truly thankful for what God has given us, we won't want what other people have. If we're truly thankful for Jesus for forgiving our sin, we won't want to engage in sin. If we're truly thankful for the goodness and blessings of God, we won't want to cut off those blessings by engaging in wrong behavior that would affect our relationship with God. Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, Though your hearts were once filled with darkness, now you are full of light from the Lord, and your behavior should show it. And then in verse 11, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to Jesus changes us. There's a relationship between light and good and darkness and evil. Most crime takes place at night time. Very little grows in the darkness. If we live in darkness we will produce very little to show for our lives. Eleanor Roosevelt said, I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. She's saying, I'd rather do something positive and helpful and loving than focus on all that bad stuff that's around us. And in Matthew 5 verse 18, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men 
that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Everything that's exposed to the light becomes light. If there's a dark room and you turn the light on, the light takes over that room. Just as the moon reflects the sun's light, we're to reflect the light of Jesus. It's been said that we need more Christians shining than shouting. We live in a postmodern age that believes that everyone, except Christians, are entitled to their own truth. This is infiltrating the church as well and has made many people fearful about sharing their beliefs. It's amazing that, you know, we can look at history. We can see Christianity coming into pagan societies and bringing absolute transformation. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about what happens when, man, when mankind, humankind, goes its own way rather than God's way and the chaos that results. We've got people today that are throwing out biblical truth, Christians' philosophy, and they're saying, you've got to do it this way. These are people that don't, haven't studied history, haven't seen the impact of Christianity on this world, and they're saying, you need to do it this way. And what you're saying is hate speech, and so you can't say that. And if you say that, then uh, we're going to persecute you or prosecute you. And uh, so it's a, it's a crazy world today because there's a lot of pressure on Christians not to hold strongly to biblical truth. And so we're to make Jesus the center of our lives. And as we do that, he will fill us with his wisdom and his light. I read of a story of a soldier who was in the barracks with 15 men who spent most of their time playing cards and gambling. But every night before going to bed, he would kneel down by his bed and, and pray. The rest of the men would curse him. They jeered at him. They threw boots at him. And so this young man told the chaplain about what was happening and asked for advice. And the chaplain said, well, the other men have just as much right to the barracks as you have. It makes them mad to see you pray. And the Lord will hear you just as well if you say your prayers in bed and don't provoke them. Weeks later, the chaplain met him and asked, did you take my advice? He replied, I did for a couple of nights. I felt like a whipped hound and the third night I got out of bed, knelt down and prayed. Now we have a prayer meeting each night. Three have been saved and we're praying for the rest. In verse 9, Paul says, A life lived in light will produce a harvest of what is good and right and true. You'll never get apples off an orange tree or peaches from a lemon tree. The harvest we get corresponds to what we sow. If we allow the light of Jesus to flow through us, we will produce fruit that's marked by goodness, righteousness, 
and truthfulness. Verses 12 to 13 say, For it is shameful even to mention the dis what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And so Paul urges us not to talk about those shameful things that people do in secret, but to choose to be innocent of these things and to remain in the light. When we speak about something, we draw attention to it. We can even glamorize it. Children grow up thinking, everybody does it. There can't be anything wrong with something most people do and talk about. But good fruit is pleasant, it's nourishing, and it gives life. And in verse 14, it says, For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So wake up. What are you doing with this amazing treasure that God has given to you? Have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus at the center of your life? Are you walking in his love, in his wisdom, and in his light? Maybe you're thinking, I've allowed my life to get into a mess. I've been doing some things that I've said that I would never do. Choose God's approval rather than human approval. Our God is jealous for our affection. He desires that we respect, fear, and obey him. Move out of those dark shadows this morning. Return to him. Step into his glorious light. Allow him to transform you into the person he's made you to be. Let's pray. Father, we're encouraged when we read the Gospels about the life of Jesus. And Lord, you desire that we live as you did. Lord, we thank you that we can walk in your Holy Spirit, who will guide us into all truth and who will shine his light through us. Lord, help us on this journey called life. May we walk in the light. May we stay out of those dark areas. May we pro produce good fruit in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.